We are on the cusp of a major social change. Do you feel it? Even if you don't, make no mistake, change is coming, and it is going to be unforgettable. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Hart, and here on Prime Spark, where we work with and on behalf of women over 55, I want to help you find that spark that will ignite your way forward, reflect your gifts to the world, and illuminate your path through this next stage of life. Through these podcast conversations, I hope to inspire you to see how you can make a significant contribution to some of the gnarly problems that are facing us right now. Join me, and together, let's discover our Prime Spark. Hi, and welcome to Prime Spark. I'm Sarah Hart, and I'm so happy you're here with us. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close to help us all live our happiest, most fulfilling, and productive lives now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we all need to be involved and we need to get going now. And today I have the pleasure of talking with Louise Nair, a woman whose work I greatly admire. Louise Nair has written six books, two poetry books, Keeping Watch and the Houses Are Covered in Sound, and co-authored How to Bury a Goldfish, about rituals for everyday life. She is the author of Burned, a memoir which was an Oprah Great Read and won the Wisconsin Library Association Award. She is also the author of Poised for Retirement, Moving from Anxiety to Zen, and Narrow Escapes. Louise is a member of the Writer's Grotto, a longtime educator, retired City College of San Francisco professor, and now teaches through Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at UC Berkeley and at the Grotto. She has done numerous radio spots, including on NPR. Welcome, Louise. I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. So just getting started, let me ask you, do you experience getting older? And if you do, what is that experience? And if you don't, why is it that you think that you don't? Interesting question. I would say body-wise, yes, I experience getting older. You know, some arthritic feelings. Um, I don't have perhaps quite the amount of endurance that I did, but I find when I do you know, do exercise. And I've started doing Zumba classes again that, um, you know, it gives me more um, breathing power. I've actually gotten over, a, you know, a, an RSV virus. So my voice is a little funny, but actually exercise really, really helps. So I would say yes, in terms of my body, um, every once in a while, I have those, quote, senior moments, which, um you know, one of my kids said, I've always had, so maybe it's not a senior moment, <laughs> being a little spacey artist type or whatever. Um, 
but you know, and my neck hurts because I graded papers for a long time. So yes, in my body, sometimes in my mind, but I think what you brought up is, you know, the messages society gives us just add to that. So if you can just not think about that and just, you know, wake up and yeah, maybe it's a little harder to move, but otherwise, you know, on the whole, I'm fine. You know, that's, Louise, it's really interesting because um, I've talked to so many women uh, and I'll bet you, I've never kept track of this, but I'll bet you 90% say pretty much what you said. That yeah, physically I can feel, you know, this, that, and the other thing and things are stiff and so forth. But basically I'm fine, um, you know? And, and so I find that really fascinating that our, Society keeps putting out messages that don't portray us like we are. Exactly. You know, and it's frustrating. It is. And I think, you know, as somebody who was a bit of a hypochondriac when I was young, I think these messages can lead us to constantly think things are wrong when they're not, not to say you shouldn't go to the doctor if you feel a pain in your chest or something going on. But I think there's a way in which the fear of things is um, is exaggerated because of the messages that are coming down. I absolutely agree with you. And from just what you said uh, before, um, I think an example of that is forgetting something and saying, oh, it was a senior moment. Now, all my life, I have forgotten things, and I've never heard a young person who forgot something say, oh, that was a younger moment. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, it is, yes, we do sometimes tend to lose short-term memory as we get older, and that, you know, that can happen, but so often, things that happen have always happened, and it's just now we have a name for it. It's sort of like when they developed the word midlife crisis, suddenly everybody was having one. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Louise, I have been reading Narrow Escapes. And there are parts of that book, and I was reading it at night, and I didn't get enough sleep on some nights because I could not put it down. Oh. I mean, the things, a, a lot of a lot of the book, but... Um, the things you went through when you were having um, your time in um, the time bet- after your studies, when you were traveling um, in Northern Africa, it was fascinating and scary. And you got out of all of those. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the narrow escapes part, you know, there, but for fortune. I, I mean, I, I must say that Having grown up in New York City, there was a way in which maybe I wasn't quite as naive as it seems, but there were so many people, and I'm not saying everybody, around the late 60s, early 70s, young women really feeling a sense of liberation in their lives. I mean, the advent of the pill, the advent of, you know, trying to break away from quote, bourgeois norms. And I hitchhiked in Northern Africa. I mean, I would die if my kids hitchhiked. 
<laughs> and I probably didn't tell my mother. Maybe she figured it out. But, you know, people just lined up on the road. And I did get out of some situations with a combination of luck and probably a little bit of street smarts, you know, like the driver who was pretty scary. And I wasn't sure what he was going to do um, to me and my friend, another woman. But he had a picture of his kids on the dashboard. And so I said, oh, what beautiful children. And, you know, and and then just talked about family. So, in other words, um, yeah, combination of luck and street smart. And somebody was watching over me. That's all I can say. And knowing when to get out of there. So that that one that one story about I think it was that same driver where there suddenly it seemed like out of nowhere was a street light that turned red and and let you and your friend jump out of the car. Exactly. And I, I didn't even know if the door was going to be unlocked, you know, and thank God it was. So yeah, lots of and and we all have narrow escapes. I mean, whether it's illness or a car getting too close or all of those things. And so I think it's it's quite universal. And that's why I'm superstitious at times. And I knock on wood and, and just say, you know, keep going. <laughs> How does it feel now? Um, I, I don't know about your, your other books because I haven't read them in the same detail I was I've been reading narrow escapes but how does it feel to have things that have been printed and they're out in the world that are so deeply personal well you know I started that with um burned a memoir which recounts well is about the story of my parents who were burned in an explosion and as it when I was four and we were separated from them for nine months and as a, a young adult, I never talked about it. Never, ever, ever. And it was only when I started having um, a period of some panic attacks, you know, probably triggered by what happened, that I started to actually talk to people about it. My mother was facially disfigured. So, you know, there wasn't any way I could hide it that she had been burned, but it was off limits to talk about. So how do I feel about it? I've been doing it for a long time, you know, since writing Burned and putting that out in the world that came out in 2010. But I must say, the minute I did a newsletter and sent it out to all my friends and family, I felt nervous. You know, I felt like it's like having a baby, you know, is it or is the child going to have, you know, 10 fingers, 10 toes? <laughs> you know, what are people going to say? Um, and yeah, having something so personal is was hard. Plus, I have some old boyfriends in there, but I changed their <laughs> names. So <laughs> so I, I went through a, one night where I was having trouble sleeping. And then I thought I actually toned it down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> when I wrote the book, I thought, okay, you know, if either of them read it, it wouldn't be too bad. But um, <laughs> it, it is, it is, um, it is a daunting thing. But as a memoir teacher, I mean, I'm reading, you know, the most difficult stories that you can imagine, you know, and everybody has something that's happened in her life. And um, just holding the story 
and allowing that person to talk about it, whether it's just in a small group or publication, is 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 such um, a thrilling experience because you realize that that person has opened up. And there's a sense I wouldn't I don't like using the word closure because I don't really necessarily believe in that. But there's a certain peace that comes from just getting it out, getting it off your chest, as they say. Now, what was um, not necessarily from your old boyfriends, but what's <laughs> been the reaction um, to to, uh, to narrow escapes that what generally speaking, do people say you know it just came out originally it was going to be march 16th but it came out a bit early i've so i've only had three people four people comment and so far you know similar to you which just totally thrills me people say they couldn't put it down and there's a main character in the book my friend ken and i just got a text this morning I sent him the book. He helped out with the book and he's also in the book a lot. And he said, I love the book. It made me cry. And I just thought, you know, if that's all that I got from writing the book, you know, it's, I just want to bask in that instead of thinking, oh, I need to do this or that, or send it out to awards. You know, there's all that in my head too. (laughs) But yeah, I've touched a few people. So, yeah, I'm reading about um, Ken. He is uh, he he can't he fully comes across as just a beautiful person, um, and a person that you know you you read enough about him in your book, you almost feel like you know him. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, in a in a certain kind of way, and just want to sit down and have a cup of coffee with him, and just <laughs> yeah, <'cause>, yeah. <laughs> And he's become a very well-known art historian and curator and had, you know, a wonderful career. But he really, um, well, we helped each other, but I felt his solidity along with his ability to be an artist and all of that really stabilized me at a time. And he was coming out as gay during that time of his life, very early, I must say. Um, you know, for 1968, which I really admire. You know, he said, this is who I am. And um, it was the happiest day of my life, not that it was hard. And for me, because I was really dealing with, you know, my parents' burns and stuff, um, he was one of the only people I told about it and how it got to me. So, yeah, we really supported each other in all kinds of ways forever, really. One of the things, and you say this in your book, but I actually thought this is just incredible, isn't it? That one of the worst encounters you had was after you got back to New York. Yep. Yep. Of all the situations you were in, the worst situ- the worst outcome was when you were in New York. That yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, big. Be- you know, as as we're writing now with a lot more consciousness, too, about people in different countries, I did not want to make my encounters with Moroccan men. Um, nothing bad, nothing terrible happened. Right. There were scary things, but, you know, it can happen anywhere, you know, and 
in any part of the the world if you're 19 and you're walking around you know not thinking about you know where you are or, or so yeah so in new york and that was a total surprise because i grew up in a pretty upper middle class uh block but new york is a kind of block to block city sometimes so yeah i was assaulted just a block from my home and saved thank god yeah, that was that was a very hard time. That was a very hard part of the book to read because it um, it was uh, scary and it was um, awful. It was just an awful, awful experience. And I, you know, I think just to add a quick thing about that, um, I think how everybody reacted to the assault was very hard for me because it wasn't a time where you know, right away you get a counselor, right away you talk about it. And my parents were in the medical profession. Um, and so they did everything right medically. But emotionally, I was, except for Ken, who, who said, poor baby, and hugged me. Otherwise, I was kind of left on my own. And I didn't really deal with that for many, many years and still haven't totally. You know, those things you know, you still get, can get triggered, but, yeah. uh, you know, I'm 10 times better. I think that um, of all the things that we just still need to keep doing, um, one of the things it seems to me we have made a little bit of progress with is helping women deal with a psychological part of attack. Totally. Totally. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So you have been a writer all your life really, in one way or another, it seems to me. Describe your process of writing. Where where do you like to write? What do you like to have around you? What's, what's, what's your ideal writing scenario? Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, when I was um, younger, and especially when I was writing Burned, which took on and off about 15 years, although I teach memoir classes now to help people do it faster. But when I was writing, um, my kids were young. Um, I was working at that time at two different colleges teaching English. I would write when they took final exams. I had a Monday night writing um, where my husband would take the kids to get a video in those days he went to the video store and um and ordered a pizza so they loved my writing night <laughs> i would come home at 4 um close the door and sometimes take a nap and write till 11 i was so driven to write anytime anywhere you know it didn't matter i could write on a napkin at a coffee shop i mean words just spun through my head um, so, you know, over the past year since I left City College, I joined the Writers Grotto. And for a long time, uh, pre-COVID, I had an office that I went to where I wrote, pretty much wrote Narrow Escapes. And, you know, the hard thing for me is making myself get up and walk around, especially we were talking about aches and pains of old age. Um, now, the room I am in right now, I call my writing room. For a while, we were renting it out for Airbnb, but now I've reclaimed it. 
So, you know, it has some of my daughter's collages, <clears throat> a little bit of awards, um, pictures of my grandkids and my kids and my husband. Um, so I have, um, you know, I have a space that's mine. I don't always sit on the chair that I'm sitting on now. Sometimes I I work in, in bed, which I like to do, you know, can, uh, um, and I'm not sure what my, I have a novel that I wrote. Um, I've had it edited once. Um, and I think as soon as this book is launched, I am going to go back to that. But I haven't been writing a lot lately. You know, it's not like I have three days a week where I write. I'm taking a bit of a break. That must be one of the first breaks you've taken from writing in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's funny because when you said six books, I'm thinking, how did I do that? <laughs> but now you have a room of your own to write in. Exactly. Right? Virginia Woolf would be happy. Yeah. <laughs> So when somebody says to you, and this must happen uh, with your with the teaching that you've done, when somebody says they want to be a writer, um, and how do I do that, Louise? How do I be a writer? What do you <laughs> what do you tell them? Well, you know, I, I try not to start with boy, <laughs> it's a tough route, you know, because uh, you know, and you have, I mean, I think. Um, I'd be very encouraging. I would just say, you know, what have you written? What are your projects? I would encourage people to take classes. I mean, there are anything from free classes at some of the public libraries. You know, sometimes people will teach memoir. There are classes well, that I teach through the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, classes at UCLA, um, I'm talking about California here, but, you know, Stanford continuing ed, they're all on Zoom. So I would encourage people to take classes, to go to conferences, to go to readings, and that's completely free. You know, and if you live in a fair, somewhat urban area, you can go to bookstores three times a night and hear people read. Um, and through that way, sometimes you can get in touch with people who are writing similar things to you. I'd encourage people to reach out to writers if you can find their info or websites and, and just say, I really like your work. You know, do you want to, not everybody will respond, but if you have time for a quick conversation. And honestly, I really see part of my role in life as a teacher and helping people move on in their lives. So, you know, I, I, I will write blurbs. I will do almost anything to help people. So if somebody wants to be a writer, um, and I've had a lot of conversations with people, and sometimes they want to do it on the side, and sometimes they want to, you know, really go to an MFA program and and uh, apply and, and, and then either teach or um, you know, do freelance. It's not an easy life, I would say, economically, unless you teach or you're you have a big hit. You know, which which can happen. That's what interesting about um, contacting um, authors and listening to book readings. Um, I not too long ago discovered um, I like to read mysteries. Oftentimes, that sort of 
I am sort of light mysteries. I, I mean, I in in a, in a murder mystery, there's somebody gets killed, but it's it's not gory. It's just that they get killed, you know, and then they got to find out who did it. And I discovered a writer not too long ago that I really liked, and I found her email address and sent her an email, and I'd never done that before, and um, it was really fun, and she responded. Wow, that's great. <laughs> and um. I have written a couple books and I have gotten some emails from people I don't know. And I and that's really nice. So I would encourage people, what you said, I would encourage people, contact authors because exactly. I mean, maybe when somebody's a really big deal author, they get tired of it. But boy, I tell you, until you get to that point, that's it's a wonderful thing to hear from readers. Yeah, and I even um when I wrote co co-authored How to Bury a Goldfish, um, Rituals for Everyday Life, we were looking for blurbs. And I thought of Mary Pfeiffer. I don't know if you know her book, Reviving Ophelia. Yeah. You know, it's basically saving the souls of teenage girls. She's an amazing person. And I thought, oh, I would love a blurb from her, but she's famous and she's busy. And then I found out that she goes to the Unitarian Church, which I had gone to for years with my kids. So I sent a note and, and a copy of the manuscript to the Unitarian Church. I think she lives, I can't remember where she lives, in the Midwest somewhere. And within four days, she had read it and written me a blurb. And it was it was wild. <laughs> so I just, so yeah, I say to people, try anything. Ask. But, yeah, ask. And you also have to have, I would say, as a writer, kind of a hard shell. You know, in other words, when I was sending poems out, I would send out to maybe, let's say, 20 places. And if I got one acceptance, I would be thrilled. So, you know, so there's somebody once said, you have to have a lot of rejections before you have an acceptance. So if you get a lot of rejections, it means you're trying. Maybe you need to go back and revise, but at least you're trying. I heard somebody not too long ago talk about um, <clears throat> to try to, it is it is hard to deal with that because it's just constant rejection or not hearing anything, which is almost okay. like worse. Exactly. Um I heard somebody saying, this doesn't work for me, but it might work for somebody, to try to change your image of what you're doing. You're trying to get at least 20 rejections. <laughs> oh, I'm on 18. Yippee. I've only got two more to go. <laughs> and then yeah. if, you get, if you get enough rejections, at some point, there's going to be some acceptance. Yeah, exactly. And, and yet, there is a reality that you know, maybe you need to revise. Yes. I mean, narrow, narrow escapes. You know, my latest book that just came out, I think I revised the whole book four times. And I worked with two editors, one, one a friend and one somebody in New York who I paid. So it was not as if, you know, I sat down and, and wrote the book and that was it. Um, I think maybe Isabel Allende can do that, but <laughs> not a lot of people can. Um, so, you know, um, and the other thing is I've taught so many writers and some people are writing to pass down a legacy. You know, they're trying to 
pass something down to their children, grandchildren, or friends. And so, um, you know, people write for all kinds of reasons, or something's really bothered you for years, a regret or something that happened. And by the act of writing it down, there's a sense of um, healing, feeling more at peace with what happened, or discovering, because writing is also discovery. Yeah, I oftentimes find that I don't know. I don't know how I really feel about something until I write about it, and then, it, and then it gradually becomes clearer in my mind. I think that's an interesting process. Exactly. Of this, all the things you've written, Louise, which is your favorite book? Is that a fair question or not? Oh boy, these are my babies. Choose. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd say the one so far, and I'm hoping Narrow Escapes will hit that level in terms of what people are saying about it. But the one so far I'm most proud of is um, Burned because it did um, get into Oprah Magazine and it won this Library Association Award um, from Wisconsin. And it's, you know, the major story of my childhood, which was really silenced for a lot of reasons. So, um, yeah, in a way, Narrow Escapes was much easier to write because I had more experience. When I wrote Burned, I had to learn how to write dialogue. I had to learn what you need to do to create a character. Um, all those things that you don't have to do as a poet. So I already love language, but this was, it was very challenging. That's really interesting. I never thought of that before, that um, learning to write dialogue. That's a, that's a real skill, isn't it? It is. And, you know, some people, because I've had so many students, are just naturals at it. It's like, whoa, that sounds exactly like that person. But a lot of people write, you know, their sentences are too long. There are too many he said, she said, when it's already clear. Um, yeah, it it's a skill. It's a skill. And the good thing is, and this is what I believe, it can be taught. You know, it's not as if somebody's totally born a writer. Maybe people have talents, but I really believe all of this can be taught. Oh, that's a real relief for people who really would like to get better at writing. That um, that it is learnable. Exactly. And there's a book that I use for memoir called Writing the Memoir by Judith Barrington. And I feel like she really breaks it down. And it's very helpful and has a lot of prompts. You know, people can just pick prompts to do something every day. How did you decide to focus on a memoir? Because of having written Burned? Well, you know, I was writing these long narrative poems, and it just didn't contain the story well enough. And I must say, I, if I had had time or wanted to, probably taking a bunch of classes on how to write memoir would have helped. But I knew I had to write that story. After I spent forever, or a long time, I shouldn't say forever, a long time writing that story, um, I just thought, this is it. 
I'm going to write fiction from now on. I don't want to have to get the facts right. A friend of my mother sent me a page of things I had gotten wrong. And she said, if you ever republish, you need to get this right. And yeah, I just thought, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with potentially hurting people's feelings. That's a whole other issue. I mean, I ended up basically talking to people um, and, you know, making sure everything was okay um, before I published it. But um, so I, I started this novel and then I wrote a piece on my travels to Morocco, which, as you know, are very um, dramatic and suspenseful. And uh, it got rejected twice. And the editor said, there's not enough of an arc. And the second time, there's not enough of an arc. And she said, but this could be a book. And so I thought, okay, I'll write a book. <laughs> so so whatever, how many ever years later, I have a book. But And I keep saying, never again, memoir. But... <laughs> Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll we'll just we'll just see about that. You know, that's interesting. I um I uh, one of the books I wrote. Um, I didn't realize that a couple of people I wrote about would be um, hurt by what I said. You know, I, if I had thought about that, I would have let them read it and see. But it never occurred to me, and. That was a real learning experience. And I thought, oh, golly, about people who write these tell-all books. Right. Um, the yeah. number of people that are hurt in that process, I um, that was that was a real awakening. Yeah. And and you know, I, I think we we all do it to some extent, but it's yeah, it's important, I guess. Be, you know, or hopefully before it comes out, I had to check things out with my cousins because my mother was, you know, talk about, you know, prime spark. She was an amazing person and got a master's degree, um, you know, in the 19, I guess in the 1920s, you know, when a lot of women yeah. did, you know, continue their education. So, um, but my uncle, her brother, never finished high school. And I had put that in the book. And yet he went and he got a high school diploma. He created a wonderful life for his children. And he took me and my sister in for a year when my parents were burned and created a beautiful family um, sense of safety and security. So I told I I I told him that's what I was really saying. It didn't matter that my mother had a master's degree and he, you know, so he said, okay. He said, but you got, <laughs> you got the dog wrong. It was a basset hound and people. <laughs> that upset him more than anything. So. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's a great story. So what's next, Louise? Uh, what is your next? What is your next book or what is your next project? So is it this novel that you're going to get out of the drawer and focus on again? Or is it something else or is it not writing or what? what is next? You know, I feel I'm in a, I'm in a state where I am not sure. And I think that's okay. I mean, my, my husband will be 80 this year. Um, he has some heart issues. He's actually doing quite well. But I feel 
you know, time is of the essence. And I want to take walks with him, you know, spend one or two days a week, maybe going and doing a short hike somewhere. So that's definitely something I want to do. Spend a little, I took each of my daughters on a weekend by themselves, you know, one to Joshua Tree and one to the uh, Sierras. And I like to do more of that, spend more time with them. They they live in California, fortunately, but not too close. Um, so more time with friends, especially after COVID, you know, it's, I shouldn't even say after COVID, but during this whole period of time, more time with friends. Um, and I have been getting little inklings that I want to get back to my novel. So I think that I, I do have some wrist issues talking about all day, getting older kind of things. But um, I think I can figure that out, you know, and um, do a kind of retreat and see where that takes me. But I, I'm not as, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's, is okay. and that's fine. I mean, you just finished um, um the last book. And so, you know, you may not be ready to turn around and just do anything right now other than exactly right. what you want to do with your husband and just relax with your daughter, you know, your kids. And that I think, you know, we all get to those points and it's sort of a, um, uh, it's sort of a, uh, that rest between and until you're sort of ready to go again. That's. And, and exercise more. I've yeah. been trying to do that. And that really lifts my spirits and makes me feel better. And I think great for everybody. Absolutely. It's, I think it's definitely one of the things that can help us stay feeling as healthy and uh, vibrant as possible to get as much exercise as we can. Do you, um, just, just in closing, when you were talking about your wrist, do you write on um, a computer or laptop or do you handwrite? No, I don't handwrite, although I although I recognize that can create a little more flow sometimes. No, I write on a laptop and I actually need to get, a, you know, a keyboard that, you know, because I'm writing over the laptop and I think that's affecting my wrist. So there are things I can do. And there are also dictation programs that I've thought about. Um, so th there are ways that, you know, I could deal with that. And I do not do downward dog because it really hurts my wrist. <laughs> Good. That is something you shouldn't do. I have trouble doing that anymore because of my shoulders. So <laughs> we all find things that just don't quite work anymore. Right. <laughs> so, Louise, this was so much fun listening to you. And if somebody would like to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Yep, they can feel free to email me at Louise, L-O-U-I-S-E, Nayer, N is in Nancy, A-Y-E-R, at gmail.com, or look at my website, you know, www.louisenayer.com. Great. Thank you. So that's our time today. Please join us again. You can find our Prime Spark podcast on every popular outlet. Find out more about Prime Spark at www.primesparkwomen.com. Thank you so much to my guest, Louise Nair. And don't forget you can find her at her website, www.louise, 
Nayer, and N is in Nancy, A-Y-E-R.com, or Louise Nayer at gmail.com. Thank you for being with us. Take care, spread tolerance and love. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to stay updated, you can head over to my website, primesparkwomen.com, and get my free spark guide, Seven Questions to Ignite Your Spark, to help you discover your own spark. See you in the next episode.